0: All right, sit down. Good morning. My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here. I hope everybody had a good fourth. Um, If you're just joining us, we are working through the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, Go ahead and grab that and open up to the book of Romans. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'll read it, and it might be up on the screen. I'm not, not sure. If you don't own a Bible, then after the service, go over to the commons and the bookstore, um, and we will, we will give you a Bible. It's our treat. Um, Merry Christmas. Go get it. Um, so, so far in the first three and a half chapters, we're just going to jump right in. And the first three and a half chapters, we've been hearing about how sinful we are. So if you missed all that fun, we'll try to catch you up on that. Um, News flash, you're sinful. Uh, But today, we're going to start getting to the good news, which is good news, right? (laughs) Everybody's excited about that. (laughs) Finally get to the good news. And here's one of the biggest problems I think church-going people have, and church-going people have a lot of problems, but one of the biggest problems I think church-going people have, or people who have grown up around the church or, or around a lot, is we think we know the gospel. And we know enough to know that the gospel is good news, but we often miss out on how good the good news is Um, For for example, if I tell my kids we're going to go out to eat, that's good news, right? I'm not saying my wife can't cook. I'm just saying in our house it's good news if we're going to go out to eat. But if I say we're going to go out to eat for pizza, well, now they get more of the good news, and they start to behave a little better and clean up their room without asking. And then if I say, hey, we're going to Casanova Brothers, and that's our spot, then they're doing dances, and I'm getting hugs and kisses, and I'm the best dad in the world, right? Because the more of the good news they have, the better their reaction to it. Does that make sense? So when you think of the gospel, if all that comes to mind is that God forgives you, let me tell you, there's so much more to it than that. And our goal today is that you would leave here with a clearer understanding of the good news and be completely captivated by just how good the good news is. Okay? So that's where we're going. Um, in our passage today, there's a, there's a verse or really two verses in our section that Martin Luther called the chief point. And very central place of Romans and the whole Bible, so no pressure. But we're tackling the center of the whole Bible. Uh, no, I'm really excited to share these verses with you because they are amazing and they really let us into how good the good news is. Uh, so we'll look at that. The verses, uh, Romans three twenty three and twenty four. We'll get to the rest of our passage in a bit, but those are the kind of the, the famous ones here. And and it's your time to show off. You may know this by memory, but Romans three twenty three is for all have sinned and. You guys know it. Let's go home. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll unpack a little bit. But for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And basically in that verse, Paul is summing up all that he's been saying uh, so far, basically making the point, uh, making his big point in the next verse, which is awesome. We'll get to that. Don't, don't read ahead. Um, some of your heads just dropped when I said don't read ahead. Shame on sinners, right? Um so if you miss the first 81 verses, his point is we're all sinners. And that's no newsflash. I mean, you know you, right? You live with you all the time, and you know what you think and how you act and do that. And you've certainly seen it in your spouse, right? Here, a little test. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever seen your spouse sin. Some sinless people in here, I guess. We'll Spend more time on sin, I guess. No, it was funny because, like, you look across the room, and, and the ladies' hands are like this. You know? The guys do this. Yep, yep. We're, we're in if, if you say I, you know, we're in the day together. Uh, but this week in, in my household, my kids started doing the each family newspaper where they basically go around and report on everything that my wife and I say and do, which was really creative until I read the first edition. Then I was like, I don't think I want you keeping a record of this. Um, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And it's, it's not a surprise. Now, maybe you don't say that. Maybe you don't say sinners, but you say things like, well, nobody's perfect. Or I'm only human, which is another way of verifying something's wrong with humanity, right? The idea of being human is connected to the idea of being flawed. We got issues. We got problems. And the problem is everybody we know is human, right? So flaws are very normal. Like who doesn't ever tell a little white lie, right? Who doesn't overeat a little bit, right? Who, who, doesn't, who isn't a little greedy? Who isn't a little self-centered, who hasn't entertained themselves with inappropriate things sometimes? And what's the answer to that question? God. God has never done any of that stuff. See, see this next line in the famous verse really gives our sinfulness context. Because we've been pounding sin, sin, and you may be like, all right, we're all sinful, so what? Right? Here's the so what. The famous verse is like, for all have sinned and What? fall short of the glory of God. So not only are we sinners, but because of our sin, we fall short of this standard or this expectation that God has for us and holds us to. And it's not a low bar. It's like the glory of God that we fall short of. And I think everybody would say, yeah, we, we miss that, right? And what it means, or are falling short of the glory of God doesn't mean that our problem is we're failing to be as glorious as God. Okay, that's not going to happen. I mean, even angels fall short of that. What it means is because of our sinfulness, we are completely missing it when it comes to the glory of God. In fact, we're, we're going the other way. We're chasing other things. We just got back from vacation a week ago, and I was I have three young kids, and um, we were in an airport waiting to get, and it's been a long day of travel. I don't, I don't travel well. get <laughs> a little grouchy. Um, but we're in this long line waiting to get onto our plane, finally it's our turn to board, and Rudy, my two and a half year old, takes off running out of line, the opposite direction, laughing, turns the corner and just disappears into a crowd of people going the other way. And I'm thinking, leave her, (laughs) Sorry, that'll that'll teach her. But her mom really likes her, and and Mars, she took off after her, chased her all the way down the length of the terminal. This kid's just running, laughing. That's sinfulness, right? This is the way we should go. This is the right way. This is the way home. But we run the other direction and we laugh about it. We run after other things, or put it this way, we act like other stuff is more glorious than God. Like, sure, God, but I'm really passionate about my job. Well, sure, God, but I'm really consumed about this type of house or this type of car or making this much money. Sure, God, but I love you fill in the blank. My life's really about obtaining this. We act like other things are more glorious than God. We make life about things it's not about. We're sinners, right? And it's normal. Like we've all kind of gotten used to it. I mean, you look around and you start, well, he does it. She does it. We are all doing. I mean, we've just kind of gotten used to it. And here's the big big problem. God has not. Think of it this way. In, in other countries, in, in third world countries, there's people who live and just terrible living conditions. And we look at their living conditions and we think, that is disgusting. Like, I don't want to live where they live. I don't want to sleep where they sleep. I don't want to eat what they eat. I don't want to drink the water that they drink. Right? To us, it's disgusting. Right? But to them, it's life. It's, it's what everybody does. It's how people live. It's what we've gotten used to and accustomed to. And to us, it's disgusting. Well, we've all gotten really accustomed to sin, It's normal. We're used to some immorality. We're used to a little white lie. We're used to greed. We're used to those things. But hear me. This is what we have to understand. To God, all that stuff is still disgusting. He's like, I ain't having it. I ain't hanging out with it. I'm not associating with it. It's not getting into my kingdom. And that's the real problem of our sinfulness. We've offended a holy God. The real problem with sin isn't that it just disrupts your life or makes your marriage rougher or, or throws wrenches into your plans. The real problem with sin is we've set ourselves against a holy God. That's a problem. Right, we get a passage that uh, uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians where he says, the sting of death is sin. And what he's saying is the real bad part about dying isn't actually dying. It's after you die. And as a sinner, you stand before a holy God. Like, how am I going to explain that semester of college? Right? How, how am I going to explain my 20s? How am I going to explain how I treated those people? How am I going to explain how I handled money to a holy God? That'll sting. right? That's going to sting. That's, that's the real problem of our sinfulness. We've offended a holy God. Like He's not okay with sin. You've got to get a glimpse of this in, in Isaiah chapter 6. It's a famous story. Perhaps I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it. Isaiah is a prophet and he's getting started in his ministry. And early on... He has this vision where he's kind of caught up to the throne room of God. And in there, there's like crazy scary looking angels. They got like multiple wings and eyes and they're like covering their face with some wings and flying around with the other wings, which is enough to freak you out a little bit. But they're screaming, holy, 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 so loud, the whole place is shaken. It fills with smoke. Now just try to put yourself there, okay? It fills with smoke. And it says the the robe of the Lord fills the temple with glory. And what does Isaiah say? Anybody know? Woe is me, right? Which in Hebrew means, oh, crap. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nobody write that down. Like the Hebrew is, <laughs> he just says, woe is me. And he says, I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. Basically, I'm in trouble and everybody on earth is in trouble, right? From a distance, we may have not thought much about it, but up close, I'm in trouble. Perfect God, I'm not perfect. I don't belong in the same room. And you have this moment where it dawns on you. It's like, I'm sinful and God's not okay with that. And I'm in big trouble. And it just kind of hits you. And we we all need that moment where it's like, God's not okay with my sin, right? I'm in big trouble. There was a time I was uh, kayaking with my dad and some buddies. Uh, in Wisconsin. It was a a good river. There's a lot of rapids, and we would never done it before, so we really didn't know what was coming. Um, And there was one rapid where you could hear it, but you couldn't see it. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, trust me. Um, And you kind of come around the bend. But before we came around the bend, I pulled my boat over and got out. We're going to walk up and see the rapid so we don't shoot it blindly like a moron, right? So when I pull and I get out of my boat and I see my dad go past me, and I'm thinking, there is no way my old man is showing me up, right? So I jump in my boat, paddle, 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 get out there. I come around the curve, and I don't see my dad anywhere. And then I look to my left, <laughs> and there's my dad with all my friends on shore that had pulled up ahead of me looking at me like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? And I look straight ahead, and, and it just drops, and it's loud. And I'm thinking, is it rapids? Is it a waterfall? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to find out, right? And at that moment, I said, woe is me, right? Right. <laughs> in Hebrew at the time. And it's like, uh, like but, it, but it hits you. It's like, I'm in big trouble. Like I'm in over my head and, and a ways back, you may look at it and think that's not big a big deal. But up close, you have this moment where it just hits you. I'm in, I'm in trouble. And, it's, and we got to feel that, that. The trouble that our sin has put us in is a big deal. We've all sinned and God is not okay with any sin. And we have to feel that angst of like, uh uh-oh, this is a big deal. Which brings us to the heart of our passage. Like how are sinners, or humans for that matter, supposed to survive a holy God? Like how is death not going to sting for you? How are you going to explain your 20s if you work that out to God? Like how is that going to go? And then it brings us to our passage where at the beginning of our section we get this shift to good news. And it's a, it's a pretty dense couple of verses, and we're going to try uh, to make it as clear as possible, because it really lets us in on how good the good news is. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 21. It says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. What's unclear about that? Everybody got that? What well, what he's saying is the righteousness of God has now been made known or, or revealed in a way that is different than the law, but it's connected to it. Like the whole Old Testament testifies about it and it's been building up to it. And then he goes on to say, the righteousness of God, and you can insert in there it's implied, has now been manifested or has now been revealed through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, I brought a kind of a kid's book to illustrate this. I said i will try to make it as clear as possible. I don't know if there's U of A grads in here, so we'll break it down. Bear down, all right? We'll get here. But here's what what it's like. So this is a magic eye book. I don't know if anybody's familiar with these. But you stare at these images, and then something pops out. Like it's in there, but you don't see it, and then all of a sudden you see it. I can't do it. I mean, this week, Brian and I are sitting in our office. You're supposed to, like, hold it close. And they kind of pulled away, and people are walking by, like, what are you doing? Like, we're studying, you know. This <laughs> is what's happening. And then, like, a dolphin pops out or some kind of image. But what he's saying is it's always been there, and now you see it, right? So you're saying throughout the whole Testament, it's like, I see a promise God made to Adam and Eve. I see a covenant made with Abraham. I see the righteousness of God through the law. I see his mercy through the sacrificial system, the Lamb of God, King David. Oh, Jesus, And it it pops, and it's like, that's what he's saying. It's like, it's always been there, and now we see it. It's like the big reveal, and you have this aha moment. Jesus is the answer. The righteousness of God has now been revealed apart from the law, although the law has been pointing to it the whole time. And what's the answer? What has been pointing to? Jesus. Now, you can say it out loud. (laughs) Jesus. And and that phrase, the righteousness of God or the justice of God, basically righteousness and justice are the same, same word, and it's used a lot. But that phrase basically means the process by which God acts to put people right with him. The process that, which God acts that puts people right with him. So a new way of being made right with God has been revealed. It has always been there. Everything is pointed to it. But now we see it. Now it's not a mystery you point to it and it's like, it's that guy. It's, it's Jesus. He's the answer. And when you, when you hear... Paul talking about righteousness here. I know it can be kind of a a big word we don't use a lot. But think of it like a validating performance record that opens doors. Like a resume. It's your righteousness. You can apply for a job. Here's my resume. Here's my credentials. Here's my skills. This is what I'm good at. These are my previous experiences. This means I'm worthy of the job. Hire me, right? We treat it as a righteousness or, or grades are that way trying to get into a school. Here's my report card. Here are my grades. This means I'm worthy to go to your university. Accept me, right? I didn't send grades. (laughs) I sent game film. Here's game film. Here's I play ball. It means I'm worthy of a scholarship. Give me a scholarship. It's it's what validates us, right? It's what we point to that validates us. Um, In our everyday life, sometimes we see this in parking garages. When you drive into a parking garage, which is Pretty scary because you go in like this dungeon and there's no way out, or there's one way out. If you go the wrong way, they're going to pop your tires and you got to kind of weave around, and then there's a gate that's guarded. And the only way you can get out, right? Well, you can pay. Or if you shop at certain stores, what do some stores do? They what? They validate parking, right? So you give them this little ticket and say, This validates me, open up, right? So essentially, our righteousness is what we point to that says, This validates me. This means I'm worthy. This means you should accept me. Open up. And for people who, let's face it, are not perfect, we're always trying to validate ourselves. Right? There's things that we all point to that think this is what gives me value. Right? I'm the ex-athlete. I'm the funny guy. I'm the guy that makes a lot of money. I'm the person that always has a perfect-looking house. Right? Uh, These are my talents and you know, I'm the good-looking one. And whatever, whatever you point to that, that say, this is what gives me value. Uh, this is why you should accept me. It's our righteousness. And maybe for you, your job is not just your job. It's what you point to for value. Maybe for you, your talents are not just things you're good at. It's what you point to to validate yourself. Maybe your wealth is not just how much money you make. It's your righteousness, or your family is not just your family and the people you're related to. Your kid's got to be this way and your spouse has to look this way and you've got to have it all put together because it's your righteousness. And we're, we all point to things like, this is what validates me. This is why I have value. This is why you should accept me. And we play this card all the time in our social circles, right? This is why I should fit in. This is why I belong here. Which gets really old trying to validate yourself. And listen, you can't turn that resume into God you can't, it's like, I know I'm a sinner, and I lust, and I'm greedy, and I'm filthy that way, but hey, I'm the funny guy. Right? <laughs> or I, I made a lot of money, or these are my grades. Right? It is, that's why Paul up in, in verse 10 says, look, none is righteous, no, not one. And he, there's like a comma in case there's an argument. None is righteous. Well, what about grandma? No, not one. Like nobody can validate themselves before God. And then we get to our, down to verse 21, and he says, but now, like news flash, get ready for, for a change. This is, this is big news. But now, a righteousness has been made available to you, one that can validate you before a holy God. You get a perfect record or a perfect resume through faith in Jesus Christ. Good news? Right, yeah. You can't validate yourself, but here Paul's saying, now you have a righteousness that can validate you, and you have it through Jesus Christ. Let's read it again, starting in verse 22. It says, the righteousness of God... You can insert, has now been manifested, now been revealed, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've established that. and we get to verse 24, it's like the nuts and bolts of salvation here, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You get all that? It's a lot of church words in that sentence. But we, we, in a lot of cases, people tend to understand forgiveness. Like, I know if I do something wrong, you'll forgive me. Like, I get that. And we get moral goodness. Like, there's a right and a wrong, and God wants the right, and I need to do the right. And that's what pleases God. But what we miss out, we often don't really comprehend this free justification and redemption. And to be honest, those are the real game changers. I mean, it's extremely important that we get that. Because if you think, every now, if you think that you're just forgiven of your sins, which is where the good news stops for a lot of people. But if you think you're just forgiven of your sins, then to you, sure, God a God a second chances and third chances and fourth chances and a hundredth chances, whatever number you're on, but you're gonna feel like you're still on your own to validate yourself. So in your mind, God forgives you, which is awesome and needed, right? Because I couldn't undo those things I did Right, needed Jesus for that, but now, this time, I'm gonna get it right. Right, I'm I'm never gonna look at that again. I'm not gonna have conversations like that, and and I'm gonna read my Bible every day at 4:30 in the morning when I get back from my jog. You know, it's like this time, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it right. And we fail, and God forgives us. And we fail, and God forgives us. We fail, we go to Jesus for forgiveness, and we know about forgiveness, so we try again, and we fail, and we get this cycle of trying and failing, trying and failing. And if we don't really understand the gospel, here's where that leads to. Here's the thinking. I am such a failure. How could God ever love somebody like me? I've tried that Christianity stuff. I can't do it. How could God ever love somebody like me? And if we think that way, guys, we're missing it. We're not understanding how good the good news is. We don't understand the full work of Jesus Christ. Look, look there's still a struggle with sin. And we'll see that in chapter 7. Paul's like, look, I do things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I do want to do. But he doesn't end in despair. He doesn't end by saying, I'm a failure. How could God ever love somebody like me? No, he ends by thanking God for Jesus. Now, that only comes if you really know what God did through Jesus. He puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 5.21. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Paul puts it this way. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become, and we get this phrase again, the righteousness of God. What he's saying is Jesus who knew no sin, who is perfect. I mean, you read the Gospels and it's like somebody give this guy a medal. He's bold, he's compassionate, he's courageous, he's patient, like he lived the perfect life. He's saying that guy, he gets treated like we deserve on the cross. And we get treated like he deserves because of the life he lived. Are you tracking with that? Is that not good news? right? Like He validates you. We get the medal because of his life. See, all, all forgiveness is by itself. It's just taking you back to square one. It's just getting done. It's just doing away with your wrongs. It just puts you back at the starting line. Like God's just saying, I forgive you. Try again. I forgive you. Try again. Right? You're forgiven. Try again. Here's a fresh start. Try again. You know? And it's like, I'm never going to get up that hill. Right? And that will get tiring. And if that's what good news is to you, there's going to come a time where you just tap. It's like, I can't do it. I'm a failure. And if that's the case, we are completely missing it. We don't, we're not realizing how good the good news is. Listen to me. Justification is more than just being forgiven. Tim, Tim Keller put it this way. Or I'll hold it back up. Justification is a bestowal of a status. Right? Like you, you're declared righteous. I'm giving you this status. Like when you're justified, you're not just forgiven. you you got a Jesus status. You tracking with that? Here's how Tim Keller put it. He said, the difference between forgiveness and justification is the difference between saying you don't have to go to jail to saying you get the Medal of Honor. And a lot of times, I think if we're honest, we act like people who only have a get-out-of-jail card and not a righteousness-of-God card, right? And we'll play that get-out-of-jail card a lot (laughs) because we need it, right? But all that does is put you back in the game. All right, you're out of jail. You know, roll again. But the righteousness-of-God card is like game over, I won. I have victory in Jesus. I can stop trying to validate myself. Another pastor put it this way. He said, to speak of forgiveness is to say you are free to go. But to speak of justification is to say you are free to come. Like you belong here now. Here's here's what I want you to remember. This is like the big idea. So if you're a note taker, this is what I want to get through to you. Through the work of Christ, hear me, God does not just forgive people. He treats them like Jesus. Do you get that? That completely changes everything. You don't get a fresh start from Jesus. You get life. You get a righteousness given to you. God does not just forgive you. He treats you like Jesus because of the work he did on the cross. You don't have to validate yourself anymore. Jesus validates you. Hear me, don't miss this, because this is what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is not that you repent of your sins. Pharisees repent of their sins too. What makes you a Christian is that you repent of your false justification. Trying harder is not going to save you. Being successful or good looking or making a lot of money does not validate you. And just becoming a better person And following more rules does not justify you. You need the righteousness of God in order to fit in with God. And that's the big news of this passage. Paul's saying, hey, guess what? That kind of righteousness is now available through Jesus. Like, he's not just forgiven. He's giving us the righteousness of God through faith. And we don't have to validate ourselves. It's been done. Let's keep reading. Verse 24a, we'll read it again says, and are justified by his grace as a gift, we'll come back to that, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this validating happens through redemption, not redemption church. We don't validate that kind of parking. Um, But redemption is definitely a church word, right? We've named our church redemption. But when Paul wrote this, redemption is more of an economic term. So there wasn't bankruptcy laws to protect people. If you borrowed money, and you were unable to pay it back, you, yourself, or your whole family went into slavery. But there was a way that you could be redeemed, right? And, and here's how, how it works. Uh, let's, say, let's say Charlie owes me money, like lots of money, okay? And he can't pay me back. If he has a relative that likes him and is loaded, <laughs> he's really rich, he could travel to our town and buy Charlie back. He could redeem him. So let's say Charlie owes me lots of money, he can't pay me back, so he becomes my slave. Anybody want to pretend they like Charlie? Russ, you want to like Charlie? Okay, so Russ is the loaded relative. He finds out that Charlie's my slave. He travels to the town that we live in to pay his debt for him, to redeem him. But he doesn't come to me to pay the debt. Right, here's how it works. He would go to the local pagan temple to see the priest. Let's say, David, you're a local pagan priest. <laughs> hey, it's just role-playing. We all got to roll, right? Play your part. Um, <clears throat> so he goes to the local pagan temple to pay the priest the debt that Charlie owes me and some extra. Because right? he's got to pay the priest off because he's about to do him a favor. right? He's kind of corrupt. Right? Just, it happens. right? So he pays the priest what Charlie owes me and a little on the top. So the priest comes to me and he pays me Charlie's debt. And, the, and, and Charlie's slave status doesn't change. He just transfers ownership. So he now becomes a slave to that pagan God, which is paid off by the priest, and he gives them to Russ, and they go home and live happily ever after. That's how it happens. Right? So when Paul picks up this language of saying that redemption, that this happens through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, what he's saying is Jesus came and paid our debt to God, the real God, and now we are no longer a slave to sin, we are a slave to God. And he picks up that language again in Romans 6, but this is kind of at the heart of it. Listen, we were helpless. He came and got us, and now we're His, and He loves us. Like, game over, right? Like, He validated us completely. Do you, do you get that? It, it, it's amazing. Amen? Okay. I'm going to trust that you get it. But here's here's the the problem. A lot of people, it's so amazing. That's the problem a lot of people tend to have with it. Like it just seems too good to be true. You're telling me that God put on flesh, came down to earth, born of a virgin. (laughs) We'll not get into that. Lived the perfect life that I was supposed to live that could not. Died the death that I was supposed to die. Beat death. Rose again told me he's going to prepare a place for me, left, floated away in a cloud, and now he's going to come back and get us in a white horse. (laughs) And I'm just supposed to believe that, and it's a gift. It just kind of seems too good to be true. Like, what's the catch, right? Like, I I owe somebody money somewhere (laughs) for that to happen. It just seems like the gift is too good to be true. There was a show on television, I I don't know if it's still on anymore, maybe you can tell me, but it's a... Extreme Makeover Home Edition. You guys know that show? Nobody does. <laughs> Maybe it's not on the air anymore then. Uh, basically what it was is these people would show up at a house and take a family, and they'd send them to Disney World for like a week. And then while they're gone, they bulldoze their house and build them a brand new house. And it's like amazing house, all kinds of, it's tricked out all over. And then they bring them back, and there's this big bus parked in front of their house. They, they ride up in a limousine. They get out of limousine behind the bus, and they yell What? So you did another show, right? <laughs> you're looking at me like I'm stupid. Like, we've never seen that at all. Yeah, they yell, move that bus, and then they see their brand new house, and it's, it's amazing. And there's all kinds of shows like that on TV, HGTV. They got, like, yard crashers and bath crashers and kitchen crashers and house crashers. It's like where they would go into a home improvement store, and they would find somebody and, and go home with them and fix up their house. I've told my wife, it's like if you're ever in a home improvement store, and some guy wants you to take them home with them, do it, babe. And it's like, <laughs> like, you jump on that, right? Because it's extravagant. It's not like they come to your house and just like, we're going to lay new sod. No, it's like we're going to put a 20-foot waterfall and an outdoor kitchen and a movie theater and a swim-up bar. I mean, they just go over the top. Um, but listen, let's stop laughing. Here we go. <clears throat> it's, it's not out of reach for a major television network to do that. Now, if some random guy just showed up at your house with a hammer and no cameras, right, you might pass on that. But ABC, HGTV, I'll take it, right? And I'll anticipate something big, like I want a zip line from my bedroom to my garage or something just ridiculous. Because listen, it, it's, when the gift's coming from them, it's totally expected. It's in their budget, right? I mean, we think of... Of a house with new wood floors and granite countertops and flat screen TVs and race car shaped beds for boys and princess rooms for girls and a spa tub for mom. That's the kind of gift ABC can give. It's in their budget. What do you think God's budget's like? Now, now think of this, because I lost some of you at spa tub for mom. <laughs> uh, but if God, who loves you, who, God, who like spoke and life happened and hung the planets and the solar systems and God loves you, a sinner, and is gonna give you a gift. It's not gonna be socks, right? He's gonna put on flesh and he's gonna come down and he's gonna live the perfect life that we were supposed to live and he's gonna put it on our resume and he's gonna die the death that we're supposed to die and he's gonna take that wrath and he's gonna beat death and He's going to ascend, promising to come back where He'll take us. And we can be with Him forever in a place where there's no more pain, sickness, or dying, and we have eternal life. Because that's totally in His budget. Amen. 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 It's not too good to be true. It's just a God-sized gift from a great, loving God. Do you get that? In that, in that show, when they, when they do the big reveal, and they yell, move that bus... Um, you see it impact people. It's like they're they're crying and falling down and hugging each other and thanking ABC and you know they're going nuts because it hits them like that's mine. <laughs> like, you all are going home. I got to live there. Like this, I really get this. And they're like, hey, we paid off your mortgage and we're sending your kids to college. It's just ridiculous. And they're just like, this house is mine. And and you see it impact them. And at the end of the day, it's a house. And some two by fours and some shingles, and, you know, and, and it was built in a week, so it's probably a little shoddy job, too. Uh, but in verse 21, Paul's essentially saying, Move that bus. The righteousness of God has now been revealed or manifested apart from the law. It's the big reveal. Here's Jesus, like our righteousness, the way that we get accepted to God, the way that death isn't going to sting anymore. That here's Je- it's the big reveal. And, and there comes a time when we look to Jesus, guys, it's got to hit us. Like, he's mine. And I'm his. And I'm not just forgiven. I, I, I've been given a status I don't deserve. I've been, I'm going to be treated like Jesus. The life he lived goes on my resume. And he's going to come back for me. And I'll be with him forever. Forever. Like the size and the grandness of that gift and our God has got to sink in. It's got to be more than just words about, you know, that we see in the Bible, justification and redemption. We've got to know what they mean and, and what it, the reality of it has to sink in. I've been justified. I don't have to validate myself to anybody. Jesus has validated me and he has more than forgiven me. He has given me a status of righteousness. And just because it's a gift that is freely offered to us doesn't mean it wasn't extremely costly. And sometimes to really get and understand the size of the gift, we have to understand the size of the cost. Right now in our service, we're going to move into a time of communion. And there's going to be some guys that come down these rows with some trays and they'll pass them out. And on the trays there's elements on it that represent Christ's body that was broken for us. And his blood that was shed for us. As followers and lovers of Jesus, we turn our attention and our thoughts to him. To remember this amazing gift came at an amazing cost. But not our cost. God took the penalty that we deserve. And he has given us a righteousness that we don't deserve. And if you love Jesus, I mean, the band's going to come, and we're going to sing another song, and we're going to have some time to reflect. I, I, I hope that you take this moment to turn your attention to Jesus. And if, if the things that we've talked about this morning have raised questions, you don't know what to do with the whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, that does sound just too good to be true. There are people up front that would love nothing more than to talk to you after the service. But if you are a follower of Jesus, my hope is this time that we, as we reflect on the gift and how amazing it is, it would stir our hearts. And when we sing that last song, that this would be a room full of people that sing and worship God like redeemed, justified, fully saved people. Could we do that? Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that you have not treated me as my sins deserve. And that you have given me a righteousness that I don't deserve either. Because I'm a sinner and I need your grace. So, Father, I pray that in this moment that your Holy Spirit would just bring clarity to our hearts about how amazing your gift is. And that it's not too good to be true. It's just a gift from a great, amazing God. And that we would love you deeply and praise you loudly. In Jesus' name, amen.